You don't get to pick where a story begins. And this story begins at a Little League game. Of all the places to start a life-changing journey, a baseball diamond just would have never made my list. But that's where it begins. So let's jump into the story. Welcome to the How To Human podcast. Hello, human. From time to time, you may feel strong emotions, inadequate, or different from your peers. While this is perfectly normal, sharing these thoughts and feelings with others is inappropriate. So take all those nasty little thoughts and feelings and bury them deep down inside, where no one will ever find them. Just kidding. This is the How To Human podcast, and the whole point is for you to show up exactly as you are. I'm bringing on guests who I think are doing one thing right, and in most cases a lot of things right, so they can share their strategies, ideas, and ask questions that are worth asking. If you're like me, and you're open to new suggestions, you're in the right place. But before we begin, I wanted to say a huge public thank you to any patrons out there listening right now. Without your contributions, none of this would be possible. Our patrons are people who contribute a monthly amount, whether it's a dollar or $10, and a couple of them as high as $50, just to help the program to continue going and be audience funded. If at any point this program wins you over and you want to become a patron yourself, you can go to www.patreon.com slash hellohuman. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash hellohuman. And now on to the show. Today's episode's on purpose. And like I mentioned, this whole thing begins at a Little League game. Well, it was really after the game. Jackson and another friend wanted to stick around and keep playing. So the boy's father and I started pitching to them until eventually they wanted to do their own thing. And as much as I hate small talk, I asked the other father, what do you do? And he said something like, well, I'm a licensed MFT, but these days, I'm really trying to help people find their purpose. Maybe it was how sincerely he said it, but I wanted to know more. So we met on a later day and he showed me what his program entailed, and I was in. It's not the cheapest investment I've ever made in myself, but so far, it's one of the most rewarding, which is why I wanted to bring him on the podcast. But before the interview, I had to walk into town and ask people a few questions. The first question, what is the purpose of a toaster? A toaster? To toast bread. To toast things. To make things easier to toast. How about a bicycle? To get you from point A to point B. Exercise? To get you from A to B. Bicycle around on, to ride on. And this. Uh, don't, don't jack me around. Those questions, they were just really the warm-up. What I really came here to ask them is, what's your purpose? Uh, play bass. My purpose? Love. Um, to live. <laughs> but the majority of people kind of had the same reaction I had, which was, I don't know. That I have yet to discover, but I'm hoping to find it soon. What's my purpose? Uh, I guess I'm still kind of figuring that out. To figure out what it is. Um, I don't know yet. I breathe, I guess. <laughs> Just keep on breathing. And some honorable mentions. Being Buddha and being Pope. My purpose in life is to trim these these things that are sticking out and ignore the fuck what you're saying. I asked him if he wanted to answer a couple of questions, so I'm not, I'm not totally sure what I did, but anyway. The point of this, it wasn't to find out what the purpose of a toaster is. I was pretty clear on that. 
The purpose was to just think about how many things you've cataloged in your mind that you know the purpose to, whether it's a toaster or a bicycle or a tape measure, you just know what its purpose is. But our own purpose, that wasn't really something I was thinking about. So today, Jonathan Gustin is going to help guide us into asking the question, what is my purpose? Jonathan, thank you for being our first guest on the podcast. Before we get started, I think it's important to mention that I really believe none of this would be happening right now if I hadn't taken your program. And so while this interview is going to be a little bit different because I have worked with you, and so you know I, I know a lot about what your program entails, I am really excited to share what you're doing and help just be a part of spreading the project that you've brought into the universe. I guess before we get going, what's your title? Because I feel like you kind of have created your own job here. Yeah. Um, so what do you call yourself? Sure. Well, first, just thank you for having me. I'm, I'm honored to be uh, here with you today and talking about something I'm just so uh, unbelievably excited about. Um, you know, the overall title I go by is Integral Mentor. And for me, what that means is that um, I'm interested in midwifing the wholeness of a human being. So in order to kind of become that, I went on to, you know, get a master's degree in psychotherapy. I'm a meditation teacher, lay ordained in the Soto Zen tradition. But I think the reason you've invited me here today is for the, the part of my work that's called purpose guiding. So uh, I'm a purpose guide. I help people to find their life's purpose, to embody it, and then offer it to the world as a gift of service. And what is... I I, I looked up the, the definition of purpose in the dictionary, but for your sake of just dealing with people and not objects, yeah. what is your definition of purpose? Yeah, great question. So uh, 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 what is the meaning or uh, destiny of a human being? What is its, um, what, what niche does it uh, occupy? So like in, in, in environments, every plant, every animal has a specific niche or niche, if you say it that way. It occupies a particular habitat. An alligator does, a daffodil does, an oak tree does. But we are like the one species that can actually refuse its own place, its own flowering, its own calling. We have this amazing gift, self-reflective capacity but because of that, we can actually imagine a million different places. We can see Yo-Yo Ma doing the cello and go, oh, I want to do that. Or we see Michael Jordan, you know, or LeBron James doing what he's doing. Oh, I, I could maybe do that. And so we become confused. So it's my contention that each person is born with a specific purpose, meaning a specific place, a niche which they occupy in their habitat, both uh, uh, in, in terms of environment, but also psychosocially in the environment of human community. And so this is like the acorn theory that each person is destined to flower and grow into the fullness of their particular tree. An acorn cannot grow into a pine. It can't grow into a spruce. That's impossible. Its destiny is to unfold into an oak tree. So the question is, it's not choosing, you know, you don't sit there, Sam, and say, 
well, what purpose do I want to fulfill? That's ego. And I mean that in the best sense, not ego in a patho- you know, uh, pathological way. But it's not like thinking of all the purposes, which is the one I choose. The free will and choice comes from the possibility of choosing to listen, to identify, to discover what is my purpose? What is the seed, the acorn of me that I'm being magnetized into to grow into? I think that's a, a perfect transition. So, yeah, it's funny how when we think of career or how you're going to make money, um, it is a choice, right? And there's like uh, in school, there's like the um, test that you take. I forget what they're called, but there's like a test that you take. Do you remember that? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're strong at interpersonal relationships, and here are careers that would play to your strengths. But what I'm hearing is you believe in a sense of fate or de- de- uh, destiny, excuse me, um, where there really is a path. Yeah, when it comes to career, how we monetize um, our lives, how we get you know, because life costs money. And so you, you need to be able to trade some sort of skill or service. Um, how do you distinct career and purpose? And do you believe that they should be connected monetarily? Or yeah, what's your distinction between the two? Sure. Um, the first thing I want to say is that, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the first thing is that uh, for a time, we may be uh, just needing to do a job that is right livelihood. It's not harming other people. That's our survival dance, just beginning to pay the bills and so forth. That's totally legit. I want everyone who's listening to know, you know, that's okay. Simultaneously, you can begin to lean into, you begin to listen to the subtle signals and we can get in how to, how to do that in a moment and discover what is our sacred dance, right? And this is uh, from Harvey Swiftier, the difference between a survival dance and a sacred dance. And the sacred dance is the our sole purpose being embodied and enacted into life as a gift of service. Now, I think the sonum bonum is to actually be able to have it be the same thing. So I'm very lucky. At this point, I'm paying my mortgage and feeding my kid, right, by my survival dance and my sacred dance are the same thing. I'm earning a living being a purpose guide, right? But it takes time. You know, if you want to be an actress or a painter or something, you may be waiting tables for a time, but feeding people is good, but it's not necessarily your destiny. And by the way, you're, you're, you were saying something very interesting about um, those tests. Those tests can actually help us identify what our soul's core powers are. What are, the, what are the strengths? What is the inner genius that we have? And so people will sometimes be able to identify using those tests or just getting you know, positive feedback from life. They'll know what their strengths are, but they won't know what those strengths were meant to, uh, how they were meant to be deployed, right? So you, know, you can be a great speaker. Well, you could use that in politics. You could use that in being a kindergarten teacher. You could use that in being a, an orator or, or any number of things. So it's important to know that your soul's core powers, whatever they are, those talents, there's a variety of uh, delivery systems through which you can actually 
allow those to flow and flourish. I like that. I, I, I used to feel like I wanted to be everything, right? And so uh, I used to like identify weaknesses and try and make them my strengths and then continue to do this. And a great piece of business advice I got was let the lawyers be lawyers. You know, if somebody loves law and loves diving into law and they're good at it, you don't have to be the lawyer. It, you know, I think it's nice to understand what's going on behind the scenes so you can work with them. Um, but it was, it, it really changed, you know, um, there was a book, I forget what it was. It was like a, a cheesy self-help book, which I love, um, millionaire mind maybe. Um, but, uh, the one thing I took away, a lot of it, I didn't really connect with. Um, but one thing I took away is that, you know, if you are a great, uh, doctor and you can earn, you know, a significant amount of money doing doctor work, it doesn't make sense for you to try and plumb your house. You know, you can pay full price for someone to plumb your house, but the time it would take you to learn it and probably make mistakes, um, isn't worth it. And there's somebody that does that all day and they do charge, you know, whatever, 120 here in the Bay Area, it's quite expensive or more. Um, but if you really just stick to what you do, what, you know, what can support you and your family and what you're really good at, it really makes sense to just hire the professional. Um, well, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing up an amazing point, which is, um, the, the place I want to occupy more than anything else is this specific overlap. Frederick Beekner, uh, a theologian, he said, find that place where your deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets. I'll say that again. Find that place where your deepest joy, your deepest passion, your deepest gladness and the world's hunger and ache meets. So it's one thing for me to find uh, passions on the one hand, like I love jazz drumming, I love skiing, and I, I, I raced and I, I played a little jazz drums, but it became evident that it's not my zone of genius. It's not my zone of, you know, no, one, no one wanted to or will ever really want to pay money to watch a ski <laughs> or, do, or, or play jazz drums. And uh, so what we want to find is the, the passion that brings us alive, that the world wants from us. Um, and then to your, to your point, there are places, things in us that just, it's really not our, they may not even be passions, right? I'm not particularly handy. I wish I was, but I'm not. I'd much rather pay someone to do the plumbing or whatever it may be. And that, that just seems like a, uh, an efficient use of time, right? Like life is just so precious. Let's lean into the things that bring us passion. And then, if possible, the things that bring us passion that also bring other people alive. Well, yeah, I mean, time is one of the few things you can't buy, you know, and doesn't matter where you are in life, you don't get more. You know, there's no privilege with time. I'd love to talk about your journey of purpose, because when we work together, I think we did a little bit more than half of your structured program and my life blew up like in front, you know, in front of you, my, um, I don't know if you remember, like it just imploded and, um, 
we both kind of agreed, you know, let's try just some traditional therapy. And you're a licensed family therapist. And I have to say you're quite good. I mean, I definitely feel like that is, um, you know, like you were saying, something you're a genius at. I, and when I'm, I've been in therapy off and on since I was 15. Not all therapists are created equal. So if you're in therapy and you don't love your doctor um, or your, your therapist, um, keep searching because you really, you can get more out of uh, a good therapist in a way shorter amount of time. And which I have to ask, um, what made you want to take the leap from therapy, which is quite popular here in the Bay Area? It's very um, accepted and, you know, you're not insane if you go to therapy. People are really um, happy for you and celebrate that you do it. What made you take the leap? Because obviously you were trading a in-demand service and something that easily has a recognizable price tag to it. And I think you appropriately priced out the purpose, you know, where I think the hourly is pretty, you know, when you break it down, it's not hourly, but when you break it down, it is similar value to therapy, but I can't imagine people are on Google, like, where do I find a purpose guide? So it meant a huge leap of faith and what compelled you to. Yeah. Great question. Um, so, uh, I'll, I'll just, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit of my history. Um, because it, I never actually wanted to be a psychotherapist. I, I regarded, um, uh, the, skill set of psychotherapy to be something in service of a deeper purpose. So when I was 21 years old, I'm 50 now, I was on a, uh, a retreat, um, a meditation retreat. Um, so I've always been interested in, um, you know, enlightenment, whatever that word means. So I'm on this meditation retreat. And uh, uh, when I wasn't sitting in the cushion, I was lying on this couch. And I had a, um, what I would call an imaginal realm experience. This comes from the Sufi tradition. And it was like, I was contemplating my life and I was asking the mystery, life, God, whatever you want to call it, like, what is my destiny, right? Because it's one thing to become enlightened. I didn't become fully enlightened on that, <laughs> on that particular retreat. But um, it's one thing to, to go for enlightenment, but there are other purposes. I say there's a triple purpose of life. One is to wake up to, to the mystery, to God, to enlightenment. One is to grow up into an emotional adult. I can describe that later if you want. And then the other is to um, uh, discover uh, what is our purpose. So wake up, grow up, and show up with your life's purpose. So I was asking two of the questions when I was 21 years old. How can I wake up to the ultimate truth and how can I wake down, burrow into my depths and discover what is the purpose for which I was born for? What is life asking from me? Um, you know, I, I, I had to know the answer. And in a flash, I had a, an image, often soul, and it's, it's soul that I believe is the thing that communicates uh, what our purpose is. So uh, I got this image um, of whole person midwifery. Now, I knew what a midwife was, and there's no way I was going to want to catch babies. That wasn't the thing. Nothing <laughs> against catching babies, but, uh, you know, that, that wasn't for me. 
but it was a, it was a poetic, right? And that's the way sometimes soul speaks. And I knew in a flash that this was my destiny. I wanted to first midwife the wholeness in myself. Your first, the first person, your first customer is you. Whatever your gift is, you, you have to give yourself the blessing of it. Um, I knew it would take decades to become a true whole person midwife. So what happened? Uh, I became lay ordained as a Zen priest. And so that kind of gave me the, the upper world. Uh, if you think of three worlds of purpose, right? The sort of heaven or transcendent dimension of spirituality, where we feel unitive intimacy with the universe, with life. Um, so, uh, so I got a credential, let's say, uh, in meditation. And then in the middle world, how do you become an emotional adult? That's a pretty hard thing. I've met very, very few of them. I myself am not one. I'm, I'm still working at it. Um, I'm getting closer, but it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one. I'll, I'll, I always jokingly say that when I've achieved emotional adulthood, it'll be when my wife tells me. <laughs> and that, that, that's not se seemingly going to happen anytime soon. So, um, but it's something I aspire to, right? The ability to give and receive love without impediment. Um, the ability to tolerate joy. You know, we talk about pain tolerance or, or these thresholds. Like how much joy can we tolerate? There's so much available. Uh, and it's not just joy, but also sadness. Because I'm finding my heart is breaking more and more for the sheer joy of like loving my son, Yi, you know him. Um, but it's also breaking uh, in a sad way because, well, watch the news. Um, so that's the second purpose. The third purpose is this um, showing up with our, with our gift. So uh, when I was 21, I had this image right? Soul speaks in images, symbols, poetics, sensations, and we have to be willing to listen to them. We have antibodies because we're moderns, right? And postmoderns, we have like this skeptical mind, which is a good thing. We should be skeptical. Maybe it was just a synaptical brain fart that I was just imagining, you know, that uh, I was a whole person midwife, but it felt so alive, so resonant. And it seems that the test, the real test, has been that um, it has been my deepest gladness and the world has hungered for it. People have uh, been paying me money to be their purpose guide. So I became a psychotherapist to acquire uh, some uh, of the skill set of a purpose guide. And I hung up my shingle because I, I like doing psychotherapy, uh, but it wasn't my destiny. And I still have a psychotherapy practice. I see some, some folks. But more often than not, the people who come to see me have a kind of a mix of, uh, of interests. They're interested in upper world spirituality. They're interested in becoming an emotional adult, but they also want to find their place. So uh, it was a little scary um, because I had a full practice and it paid well. And uh, like anyone, I you know care about money just as much as the next guy. I won't pretend otherwise. Uh, and then I started putting all this time into purpose guiding. Problem being that no one knows what purpose guiding is, so you you have to uh, you know describe it if and then you know to, to sell it. Um, and so, uh, but it was worth it. It's it was worth the risk because uh, though I would like to be you know wealthy as as, as wealthy as the next person um, on my deathbed, the deathbed perspective, um, I want to feel like I left it all out on the field, like the love in my heart for life, for people, 
It's huge. And I want to spend it all before I die. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen somebody that is um, not dying in peace, uh, it's, it's horrifying, you know, when there's still stuff they wish they had done and it's not, I don't know if it's a uh, chemical, but a lot of people kind of transition into a zone of dying. And most, I feel like that have the opportunity to reflect end up in this really graceful state of peace. But if you've ever seen somebody that is resistant to it and not happy, um, it's terrifying. And so I definitely share that same, you know, um, you don't get to take the money with you afterwards. You might get to pass it down, which would be nice. Um, but, uh, but I just want, I really want to die with as much grace. It's, haunted me uh when since i was a little kid you know i was the good i was the nine-year-old who was very concerned with death and it made me very interested with religions especially once i had an afterlife concept um but yeah and yeah i even made a an art piece that was a guillotine and it was just about like you know it was like the i think it's called the sword of damocles where there is i think it's a bible thing um where a king ties a sword above his head by a strand of hair. And it was just to like remind him how fragile um, life is. And I, I could totally be butchering that, but that's how I conceptualize it. Oh, no, totally. I, I, uh, one of the first things I did uh, as a, a young guy is I, um, I, I sing a little and play guitar. And I went to, um, this was the height of the AIDS epidemic. And I went to uh, this AIDS hospice and I offered myself as a kind of a music therapist. And I would sing people to death was the joke. But I really did sing them to death. And I watched the different ways people died. And one of the reasons why I went there is I was counterphobic, right? It was like, I was like, oh, death. You know, even though I was like 20, I was like, I, I need to get close to this thing because this is, there's nothing bigger than birth and death. And um, I watched the way different people died. And I thought, that, that tells me a lot. And more and more, you know, now having turned 50, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's a midlife crisis, but there's like this, like, okay, I'm, I have been given the gift of life. I'm in this production, right? Uh, the production has been going on for 14.72 uh, billion years. And they, I've been hired for, let's be generous, 85 years. And the production will keep going and I will be fired. I will be summarily fired <laughs> by the production company. Call it God or the universe or life. And I'm just like, shit, I, I don't want to be fired. I love life. Even with all the Zen meditation and all that, I am attached to life. I'm impassionately attached to it. I love it. Me too. I'm addicted yeah. to it, you know, and, and I really want to, and there's no, you can't buy more. I mean, maybe it'll be nanobots and whatever in 50 years or something. But at the moment, you really can't buy too much more of it. And so I want to spend it wisely. I really do. Before I'm fired. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's an interesting time, too, where, you know, you believe in a higher power. I believe in a higher power there. You know, I I don't pretend to know what it is. Just otherwise, I uh, ignore it. You know, it's really become, I have to accept that if I don't pretend to know what it is, but it's not me, right? I'm not the higher power. I do much better. And so it's very practical and self-serving. Um, but even um, some very prominent atheists like Sam Harris 
I mean, he wrote a book that uh, called Waking Up, and it was really about like these, like there are concepts from spirituality that whether you believe in something greater than yourself or not are are practical. You know, they're very practical to living a great life. I want to go back a, a little bit before I forget um, to the resistance that you talked about, pain resistance, and um, that was something I built up in my mind as a virtue, right? How much can you endure, especially if you've ever um, been through the ringer, or in my case, most of my pain has been me sending myself through the ringer. Um, and it was like, well, yeah, how much I've been through and survived, that's a virtue, and I want to be even more resistant. And I got a great piece of advice, which was, uh, you know, like, you, Sam, your resistance is getting in the way. Like, you shouldn't, like you should aim to be more sensitive to pain and grit. And like, if you're in a bad job that makes you feel terrible, um, it's not virtuous to like stay there and endure, you know, it's virtuous to be like, ow, that hurts. I should move away from this because it's hurting me. Um, let's see, I have something uh, written down. Oh, 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 yes. Okay. Um, visions you talked about, you had this vision of what you were supposed to do. And I have always been, uh, very visually creative. Um, that's just one of the, the things I get to work with. And so I have these very intense visions. Um, and one of the things I carry with me every day, I actually, I have a notebook of our work together. And I didn't look at it for this because I really only wrote down what is still relevant to me. I go through the notebook and I get a lot out of it, but I wanted to just capture things that I've carried with me daily. Um, and one of the best things I took away from the program is the vision is not yours. Like it, it doesn't originate from you. Um, the vision is something that is kind of shared with you and it's not exactly a, a blueprint for you to build completely off of the way you described it was it's going to come to you in the language of the muse right and just like any language they don't share the same words you know they're they don't have the same words and so when you do a translation you have to find a way to express it as it was in, in um, language written, but your job isn't to reproduce it. Your job is to translate it into the real world. And almost instantly, I was able to finish much more of the projects I started because it wasn't, there was no disappointment that it didn't match the vision. It was just simply that my job was to translate it as best as possible. And it meant at the end of a project being way more likely to share it because it, it didn't, it wasn't a failure for matching the product. So gosh, thank you for that in particular. Um, well, there are these, uh, sort of the almost platonic forms or these perfect images that come from soul. And I think of ego as like the handmaiden or the servant to soul. My ego is never capable of, uh, what would be the word? actualizing soul's vision to high perfect fidelity and that's fine i mean that that's 
That's absolutely natural. So I'm always striving towards perfection. I'll never make it, but that's okay. Like to be a whole person midwife, we'll see what happens after I've been doing it for 60 years. But even then, it won't be the whole thing. It's, it's for my ego to figure out the practicalities of how to, as best I can, bring that vision into reality. And it's a shared vision. I mean, from the, the, the big picture vision uh, for me is to bring more goodness, more truth, more beauty into the world. My love letter to humanity 30,000 years from now, and I'm completely and utterly forgotten, right, is to have sowed some seeds that humanity can actually become a purpose-driven humanity. It's not only about Maslow's, you know, lower uh, rungs, right? Safety and security, we all desire those naturally. We want to feel like we belong and we want to feel esteemed. These are just like the natural wants that Abraham Maslow, the psychologist, talked about, hierarchy of needs. But then we also want to be self-actualized. And even beyond self-actualized, we want to be generative. We want to bear fruits that other people can eat and feel the sweetness of life. We want to be generous. We want to give from our hearts, whether it's to our girlfriends or our sons or our parents or whoever it is. We want to, we want to feed people. We want to love. And then the question is, well, okay. If we all want to bring more goodness, truth, and beauty into the world and we want to love, how? What's our unique expression? And so it's going to be different for you as it is. You're more of an artist. You've got an artist's soul. That's how I feel about you. Um, that's not me. So I have more of an intellect, sort of spiritual bent. Who knows? And so we, we move with that. So it's not purpose for egos. It's not like we get it. Our, our ego gets to choose the purpose. It's more it's revealed. Like I use the metaphor, I didn't sit down one day and um, think, well, okay, what, what shall be my sexual orientation? Shall I be heterosexual, bisexual, or homosexual? Because if I had done it that way, I would have picked bisexual because it's like, why would you leave anything out? I mean, that's <laughs> the dumbest thing ever, right? But uh, so well, I didn't choose. I discovered what was true for me. What was true for me? Uh, for me, it happens to be heterosexuality. So it's coming out of the closet about what you actually are in all ways, right? And so coming out of the closet for me was to find out, I, I certainly couldn't have made that, I don't think I could have made this up, whole person, midwife. What, what the heck is that? It sounds like California, new age, tofu and incense, woo woo. But in my soul, it's like, that's what I want to do. I want to midwife the wholeness of the people who I, I have the privilege of working with. So, uh, so that's the ego being in response, being in service of the soul's core image. And every person has secreted within them a soul image. And when they find that soul image, they can become, they can become a, a, a servant of that. And I love being a servant if uh, the master is the right one yeah and thinking about things in terms of so i went to school i didn't finish but i studied uh industrial design product design for three years and so my mind was always thinking in terms of product you know what's the product is it a sculpture is it uh you know a video or in this case a podcast and 
one of the revelations of thinking in terms of purpose is it really leaves a lot of room on the canvas for change or for the, you know, in my case, for the muse, I love use that word. And I, I use it often, especially when in creative projects to really help you paint the picture and, um, be flexible. So rather than me actualizing a product, I just try and stay on the purpose. And if it doesn't, yeah, if it doesn't end up working right completely, it's not about making a perfect product. It's just about generally working towards your purpose, purpose, uh, which is great for a perfectionist like me and very critical person is just to be like, well, was it a small step on your purpose? Okay. When, you know, did one person, um, respond to it? Okay. That's a huge victory. You know, you, of, of course my ego wants it to just go completely mass market. Um, but sometimes a story just gets like a simple Facebook comment and it's just like, okay, that's it. Like the, it, you brought something from the, um, the other world, you know, where the vision came from, you materialized it and it's able to find a home and it might not always find a home, but it's able to find, it's there to find a home eventually. Um, so that non-specific, you know, it's like, I tell people now, like, I don't know what my path is, but I know what it feels like when I'm on it. And so it gives me room to try new things. And it's simply just gravitating towards that feeling of being on the path. Oh, beautiful. Keep, keep in all your interviews and writing, not all, but when it feels authentic, like keep telling your people that keep sharing that. Right. I don't know what the next uh, two steps are in my path. I know where I am now. I feel the calling to the next one. And I know what it feels like, the texture of the ground under my feet when I'm in that zone, right, where my deepest gladness and the world's hunger meets. And that's that's sometimes all I'm given. Would I like to know, you know, 10 year, 15 year? Yeah, my ego would, uh, 100%. It, it's it's not the way it works. It, it's not the way it works with me. I wish I wish I had it all a whole book uh, that told me everything. At least I think I wish I did. Maybe maybe if I had it, I would think otherwise. So obviously, you're one person. Uh, you do have a, a branch of your work which is helping other people become guides themselves, uh, which I think is important. I really want this to get spread. So uh, more guides, the better. More ways to get this out the better. Um, but not everybody is going to have the opportunity to, to work with you personally or have the, the means to work with you personally. Um, if you have been, if you've wanted to start a new, um, investment in yourself, I highly recommend it. Um, cause it's something you can take anywhere, no matter if you change careers or anything, but for somebody who just doesn't have access to, to you or, to be able to justify the expense, where is a good starting point? You know, let's, let's get practical. Where's yeah. a good, how do you, it, I mean, you talk about asking questions and listening, uh, which is a huge, um, you know, practice in, in some forms of meditation as well. It's just allowing yourself to listen, which, uh, we don't, uh, you know, with, we're <laughs> the, the modern landscape is so, skewed towards consume than create. And so we have a great community of people who are creating 
but it's so much easier to consume. And uh, and where is this? Where is the starting point? Sure. Yeah. Great. Um, the here here's sort of my first suggestion. Um, go out into wild nature. Right. This costs nothing. Everybody can do it. Go out uh, and get off the hiking trail. Normally, when I go out, I I stay on the trail. Get off the hiking trail. There's this sort of symbolic thing where you're you're getting out of the rut of yourself out of the rut of humanity and go off bushwhack just a little bit why there's a quote from carl jung and he says um, that the soul exists mostly outside of the body and what does he mean by this that really the the wildness of your soul and the wildness of this planet of the whole universe really um, they're actually parts of the same thing. So if you stay on your couch indoors, you know, and just put your iPad down for a minute, you know, you might have a, a soul encounter, but you will elevate the possibility of how, communing with, of receiving a message from soul. If you get outside in wild nature and you ask, you pray, right? Whatever the word prayer means to people, I, you know, just find your own way with the word. And from, but find that lament, like that cry, that ache. It's important to um, not just ask it intellectually, what is my purpose? Because it's not a, a question from the ego to the ego. Rather, it's an emotional one. So find your longing to make this life full and whole. Take your time, take a 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes to find your tears for wanting to live a life of deep service and deep joy. And then you ask, I'll call it the mystery. You can call it God, the Tao, whatever you want. You ask the mystery, what is my soul's purpose? And then you listen. How do you listen? You listen to everything. You listen to the trees and the birds and the grasshopper. Maybe, maybe you pour out your story. This might sound like really weird to some people, but um, you can you can tell a flower your deepest secrets in a way that it would be difficult to tell another human being. You come, you know, out of the closet completely as you are, and then you listen. Now you may get an instant response; it may come a little bit later. So that would be the first thing: is get out of your rut, go deeply into your lament, your cry, your anguish, your ache for a life of purpose and meaning, and then listen. Listen with the every bit of sensitivity, with your eyes, your ears, your energetic being, your intuition. You may get a poetry fragment. Um, that, uh, oh, and the other thing I'd say is also be, um, be ready for resistance to come up because there are antibodies to this, right? Because no sooner do we ask the question, then what if it works? I mean, what if this actually works? This is like, you know, there's the danger of it not working, right? People come and say, well, what if I pay this money and it doesn't work? Good question, it might not work. You might be wasting your time. But here's the other danger. What if it works? What if I get a, you know, 
high definition understanding of my purpose. And I leave knowing my vision and I leave knowing my soul's core powers and values. I know what my essence is. I know what the blessing that I'm meant to give my people, what my message is, what my delivery vehicle is. What if I get all the things, Jonathan, that you say I can get? Well, what happens is you begin to feel nervous. Like, well, will I be able to earn money? Will people ostracize me and laugh at me, right? Certainly some people. Yeah, yeah. and they will. I mean, if I put whole person midwife on my business card, <laughs> you know, or I was at a cocktail party, I don't really go to cocktail parties, but let's say I did, and they said, what do you do? Well, I'm a whole person midwife. They would probably walk away or snicker or something, right? So there's, there's, there's a cost, right? And so we're, we're worried about that. And at some, at some level, I'd be willing to pay the cost to an extent. Um, but I've made a boundary. I've told the mystery. I said, look, uh, in, I, I'm willing to earn less money if that's what had to happen and have some people ostracize me. But if it came to like, you know, being homeless or, or, uh, I work so hard, I can't be with my son or my marriage is falling apart. Um, I'm honest. I'm not, I'm not that brave. I'm just not, you know, other Gandhi was willing to be martyred. You know, I don't want to be shot for being a whole person midwife. I have no reason to believe I would be. Um, so to deal skillfully, this is part of the work I do as a purpose guide, is to work with the antibodies to purpose, the resistance to purpose. It's a big part of the work because if we don't work with those elements, then we're going to have like a static on the line, right? So it's ego and we're calling on soul to give us this information. And if there's all these voices like the protector, the controller, the cynic, the skeptic, the wounded child, the image consultant, all these sub-personalities, which are good personalities, we want them, um, they're going to weigh in and they're going to interfere and try to slow down the work. So one of the things I do in the first couple sessions with people is I work with those resistances and then we have a nice, clean, pristine pathway. And then we can really actually pray in a way that we receive answers, hopefully, immediately. Yeah, my mom... Uh always told me from early on your success isn't convenient to anyone you know which means that a you know your loved ones i mean the people closest to you if you're doing something risky um they can out of love not want you to do it or be resistant to you going this direction because they just want the best for you but you know and then people um in your circle or peers I mean, you get bombarded with unsolicited advice and critique that, you know, um, most of the time for me is not useful. You know, when I ask somebody trusted who I really value their opinion, great, very useful. Sometimes not. I take what I like and leave what I don't. But um, I mean, starting your own thing is incredibly painful. Um, and what my mom means, what my mom means by it's not convenient for anyone is that if you start doing really well, the people around you have to compare themselves to you all of a sudden. And there is a bit of humanity um, instinct that, you know, if someone, you know, if someone's self-actualized and full of joy and lovely challenges they can't wait to take on, um, if you're not, if you're just showing up nine to five and then vegging out after that, um, that's pain, painful for them. So it, they're not necessarily going to be your biggest cheerleaders. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, it's a great point. I, I, uh, 
I noticed my, my wife just got this uh, book deal from a well-known publisher and uh, I, it, it's a, it was a big deal. And I was wondering, you know, I didn't tell her this just inside. I was like, would there be any jealousy inside of me? Because I have a book in me that I would like to, and maybe, maybe a tinge because, you know, I'm a human being with an ego and all that. But mostly I was noticing my capacity to be truly excited for her. And one of the reasons I think it, it flows so easily is I feel like I'm doing my purpose work. So when you have two people who are both doing their purpose work, it's easy to be excited for each other. But as you said, if you have a friend or a spouse or a girlfriend or something, and one of you is flourishing and is taking off and the other is just doing nine to five and then watching video games and, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Then there's going to be, you're going to feel like you, uh, there's some resistance coming from out outside. So there's intrapsychic um, resistance, which is resistance inside of us to changing. And then there's interpersonal resistance, the resistance we get from our uh, communities. And we, we do not live in a soul-infused community. Um, uh, the United States is mostly just not that. Um, you know, fame, money, power, uh, all of which I like, by the way. There's no, <laughs> I'm not against them. Um, but they become the center of gravity, right? Like that's the thing you really want to have. But what if, what if you think you start talking about deep spiritual meaning of your life and destiny and a deeper purpose? I jokingly say that homeostasis is the most powerful force in the universe. Homeostasis, right? You know, what our thermostats do for the temperature in our room and what our 97.6, I can't remember what it is, you know, of our internal temperature is um, we have resistance to changing. And that's a big part of purpose guiding is working skillfully with that and then also preparing for the resistance and antibodies that come from outside from our culture, um, from our people. Um, I envision a humanity uh, 10 years, 100 years, I don't know when it'll be, where it's a, a purpose-supported culture. I have, a, I have an eight-year-old. You have an eight-year-old. That's how we know each other. And um, I, I tell him uh, what I didn't hear when I was a kid. My parents, just you know, good conventional parents, they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Of course. And what they meant <clears throat> you know, is, what's your day job? And it was a very slim uh, pickings. Businessman, lawyer, or doctor, apparently, were the only things I could become. And um, uh, that's a, it's an okay question. It's not a bad one. But in, in my work, I call it the purpose octagon, these eight facets. That's just the delivery vehicle. It's just a job is the delivery vehicle for your soul's purpose. So like if, you're, if you order a pizza, the delivery vehicle could be a bike, a car, a truck, but that's, it's not the nourishment. It's not the pizza pie itself. And so, uh, for me, the delivery vehicles are a uh, meditation teacher, purpose guide, psychotherapist, but those aren't my purpose. In fact, no, in my teaching, no one's purpose is to be a psychotherapist. Uh, it's funny to me that people go around calling themselves Freudians or Jungians, let's say, because, you know, before Jung died, he said, don't, don't make a, a Jungian school after me. He died and then now people do it. It happens all the time because the only real Jungian was Carl Gustav himself. And so I need to find out what's the kind of 
therapist I am, the kind of purpose guide I am. So when I train people to be purpose guides, I'm not training them in the Gustinian um, method of, well, that's not completely true. I do train them in the Gustinian method of purpose guiding. And then I tell them, find your own artistry, your own way. That's the whole thing about this purpose work. Yeah. I mean, um, so when I started, I mean, you talked about your relationship and that you both are in a place where you are kind of moving along the lines of purpose. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that when I started thinking about this a lot. And when I started to get, you know, uh, rough drafts of kind of what I felt like my purpose was, or, or not what I felt like, but what was emerging as I listened, um, it was like taking the red pill in the matrix. You know, there was no going back. And so when I started dating, um, that was like one of the top questions is like, what's your purpose? And, you know, uh, and, um, if they didn't have an answer, like, what's your superpower? And, you know, if somebody said, Oh, I'd like to be invisible, I wouldn't call them back. It would, you know, but if somebody said, I'm a, you know, I'm a great this or that, even if it was a career, um, it just became one of the most attractive things to me. And, um, my girlfriend now, I'm, the first thing I was attracted to is her, uh, really following what she wanted to do and, you know, being in a, an entrepreneur and really trying to bring her talents to the world. I mean, so it become, it, it absolutely has an effect on your personal relationships, which, um, there's studies actually, I, I put it on my site. Um, there are studies, people who, uh, uh, report living deeply in their purpose. They live longer. They have less incidence of Alzheimer's. Their relationships last longer. That it just kind of goes on and on and on. I tend not to put that forward because it can it can end up being sleazy marketing, like more money, more love, more sex by having your purpose. But there's an element of truth to it, right? Because when you're really seated in your power, in your truth, you know, you you do tend to be more successful in love, in health, and in life. Yeah. Speaking of uh, your own little small uh, studies, just working with um, dozens or hundreds, I'm not quite sure how many people you've worked yeah, with. Hundreds. Hundreds. Oh, excellent. Uh, more of us out there. Um, what What are the patterns that kind of emerge um, from when they start, when they're really hungry for purpose um, or they're in, you know, generally I feel like you, you have to be in enough pain to really want answers or to want to change in some way. And, uh, what are common things that emerge in their own lives, um, afterwards? Sure. What are the patterns? I, I would disagree on the point of the pain. I think pain is one of the huge portals and entry ways to purpose work. When, when the suffering is so intense, that crack, you know, it can, it can create this big crack and that, that brings you into your depths and, and, and that cry, that anguish for purpose. But I think also um, boredom and malaise and just sort of feeling the passage of time. There are people whom their lives are kind of humming along. It doesn't have to be a crisis, but it often is, right? But I just want to be clear, like if someone's listening to this and like, well, I'm not in crisis or should, do I, should I be in a crisis? Not necessarily. The question is, does it feel, do you feel sincerely this 
ache and yearning for purpose. And if you don't, that's totally okay. I'm not a purpose uh, evangelist or missionary exactly. Um, it's just not my personality. So, um, so what happens when someone goes through the purpose discovery process and it's successful? Um, so many things. You know, first of all is joy. I mean, I'm, uh, in the end, w the things we do, we do because they bring us joy. If I knew that enlightenment was all it was cracked up to be, but you were really sad all the time, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, so the Buddha became enlightened. He knew the ultimate truth, but he was depressed 24 seven. I'd be like, I'll take a pass on that. <laughs> if being an emotional adult was like, oh, so, you know, but you were depressed all the time. No. And it's the same thing with purpose, right? I mean, what happiness, it's a, it's a great word and a bad word, but I'm going to elevate it here. We really do want to feel joy. We want to feel alive. We want to feel happy. It's just the truth of what it is to be a human. And the thing that purpose offers us is a deep spiritual happiness and joy because it's that sense of feeling seated, well-seated in ourselves. And you can only be well-seated in your life if you really know who you are, heart, body, mind, soul, spirit. And so that self-knowledge, know thyself, I think it said on the, uh, was it the Oracle of Delphi, the, the, the Parthenon, or, or some, somewhere in, in Greek literature, know thyself. When you know yourself at a purpose level, then you are occupying that place in life, which is yours and yours alone. It's like you fit. Like it's that sense of like, I've never had a tailor, tailored uh, suit but I imagine like it would fit me perfectly, just perfectly. Or I have a friend, he has this Mercedes car and a really good one. And it, when you shut the door, unlike my Toyota, which is a good car, by the way, uh, when you shut it, it has this like sense of German engineering. They're so heavy. Those They're so heavy. Yeah. And it's just like, I'm like, wow, someone engineered this door to fit in the door well perfectly. Wouldn't I want to be a Mercedes door sitting in the mysteries doorwell to perfection. And I feel like that. I feel like I belong to life. Like I really belong. So that's a, uh, that's an incredible joy. There's a big smile on my face as I'm saying this. Um, yeah. It's also uh, an inheritance. Um, you know, I say to my son, you know, only like once every six months, he's only eight. And I tell him, I say, did you know you have a destiny? He goes, really? I'm like, yeah. Secreted within you is a purpose and a place where you belong. And I, I say, you know, do you have any sense of that yet? And he thinks about it and he goes, no. And I say, that's okay. You're eight. Don't worry about it. But I wanted to inform you. I wanted you to know that this is something that you can grow into. And so I, I think this can be something that all parents just naturally and schools and communities and, and podcasts and television shows can communicate. What would it be like if 7.45 billion people were to really occupy their place in the habitat of life? Uh, it would be a very different world. Yeah, and there really is a sense of um, peace that I've gotten. I, um, I have a natural like circadian rhythm to my work where I'm a sprinter. I'm not a marathon runner. 
And so I will get this charge and for three weeks, four weeks, even sometimes just one week, I will just sprint and make huge strides. And um, there's such an emphasis on momentum in uh, our culture where it's like build momentum, keep the momentum. That's not my workflow. And so it's really shifted the way I look at it into service, right? Where it's like, uh, I'm more just trying to provide a service to my purpose. Uh, and so that means just moving at the pace I move. So if I'm in a sprint, great. If I'm not, the way you really got it in my head is you said, well, you're on a journey. Okay. So let's imagine a ship trying to travel around the world. Well, every so often the ship has to stop in the middle of the sea. And it doesn't mean that they're, uh, they've like backtracked or that they can't just keep going the next time they're ready to keep sailing. And so it really changed that like, oh my gosh, there's no momentum. I'm done, you know, to, okay, I covered a bunch of ground and there's going to be the slower period. And I'm really just trying to, um, give myself as much as I can kind of as an inheritance. I like to think of my inheritance as I'm going to inherit tomorrow what I do today. You know, all the actions I do today, that's my inheritance. I inherit it tomorrow. And so when I'm depressed, uh, my job is to be patient and to give myself gifts for when I'm not depressed. So it means continue to work out. So when I'm not depressed, I can be like, hey, I'm not, you know, I haven't fallen apart. Or to continue, even if it's very slow, continue to just do the next right thing. And you might not get as much done that day because we're not always going to be at the same speed. Um, but to just keep moving forward. And uh, yeah, it's been life changing. I ask myself every day. I mean, this is um, this is how I like to start my day. I, I have like a mantra or prayer or, you know, just something... It, um, that I think helps me remember what I want to do this day. And, um, it's long, but the, the two parts related to purpose are just help me stay true to my purpose and help me challenge myself mentally, physically, and creatively. So I will be more, so I will be stronger, smarter, and more useful to my purpose tomorrow. You know, so it'll just like, I will be a, a more useful vessel to the purpose. And if it requires, you know, just being able to pick some bags up and go, I'll be able to walk a little bit longer with the bags or, um, I'll have a little bit more knowledge that I will get to use, or I'll have that wonderful freedom and almost like, you know, not carrying bags. If I create, you know, if I, if I don't create, it builds up like a toxin, but if I do create, it's like a detoxing effect. Um, Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really, um, it's one of the best kind of daily habits I've, I've gotten into is just to think of it in terms of service. And it's just like a great boss will understand your rhythms. And so when they notice that you're in a slower rhythm, they're going to honor that because they know, at least, you know, the last company I worked for, they knew when I hit my stride, they were going to get their money's worth. You know, um, thank you so much for being a part of this. Oh. Um, this was a lot of fun and, um, yeah, I look forward to 
to hearing what new ways you come up with to really get the message out because I think um, this is something um, worth people's attention. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. That's it for episode one. If we're going to even try to keep this at around an hour for more of Jonathan, you can go to purposeguides.org. I highly recommend checking out the summit he does on a regular basis. It's free and freaking awesome. For more content from Hello Humans, like this podcast, you can go to hellohumans.co. Huge thank you to all our patrons who made this possible, as well as Jamie and Kenny. Jamie helped us with our sound and figure out how to record this thing. Kenny is helping us fix all the issues with our website. You can find their information in the show notes if you need help with audio or web. Again, thank you for listening to the first episode of the How to Human podcast. Until next time, have a great day.